Why Always Us is brought to you by Bet365, the world's favourite online betting company. By downloading the Bet365 app, you can access both pre-match and in-play markets along with instant match updates for all games. The Bet365 Bet Builder also allows you to make personalised bets via the app, so you can bet on multiple scenarios and create your own bets with unique odds right there in your hands. Bet365 is the world's favourite online sport betting company. The app can be downloaded from Google Play and Apple App Store. Over 18s only, please gamble responsibly. Hello, I'm David Mooney. And I'm Jack Pitbrook. And this is Why Always Us, a Manchester City podcast from The Athletic. In each episode of the show, we'll be looking at the main stories from the Etihad, plus we'll have some reaction to the big breaking news and the big matches as well. This week, as City's game with Arsenal is called off due to coronavirus concerns, we'll discuss what it could mean for the coming weeks. There was another Manchester derby defeat for Guardiola this season, so why does a largely uninspiring Manchester United side keep causing him so many problems? And with Real Madrid on the horizon, how prepared are City for the rest of the Champions League campaign, if it goes ahead? Don't forget for ad-free podcasts, make sure to subscribe to The Athletic and listen through the app. You can get a 40% discount now by using the code MANCITYPOD. Now, last weekend, City lost their third Manchester derby of the season. They won the one that truly mattered, though, on their way to their third League Cup in three years. But it's hard to get away from the fact that an otherwise uninspiring United side have caused City many problems this term. Jack, why does Ole Gunnar Solskjaer cause issues for Guardiola's City, do you think? Because he's a much better manager. <laughs> well, I mean, that's just empirically not true, is it? That's the... No, I do think, to be fair, I do think United are perfectly set up to exploit City's weaknesses. And to be fair to Solskjaer, he has, be, he has been good at exploiting those in the two Premier League games this season. If you look at United, I know Solskjaer talks about how they're, you know, they're an attacking side in the best traditions of the club. But in reality, they're, I think they're very good defensively. They've got a fantastic goalkeeper, even if he is having a difficult season. Uh, they've got some good centre-backs who can defend deep in the box. And they've also got tremendous pace on the break, like Lingard, Martial, Greenwood, Rashford. They're really, really quick. And they I think we've seen from City this year that they are vulnerable to the counter-attack in a way they haven't really been since 2016-17. That's been clear all year. You know, you can look at no replacement for company, Laporte's injuries, Fernandinho having to play in defence, not being available in midfield. And I know that, you know, the 3-0 defeat at the Etihad at the start of the season and the, the game on Sunday were not exactly the same, but there are similarities. And one of them is United's capacity to sit deep, soak up City's pressure and kill them on the break. And, you know, you have to say that whatever Guardiola might say about how well City played, United did execute their game plan perfectly. I mean, on the flip side as well, it, it, it kind of, it was two goals from two individual errors from the goalkeeper as well. Yeah, it was, it was. And, you know, but you've got to, You've got to be in the position to create difficult chances, and United, or sorry, to make good chances. United did that, while also fairly restricting the chances that City had. It was that said, you know, obviously it was unusual to see Edison make those mistakes. I mean, it was like City had Claudio, Claudio Bravo in goal, uh, particularly that. The, I mean, the kick, the second one, you can kind of forgive because City were chasing the game and he had to get the ball up quickly and. It was, you know, it was kind of desperate. It was much less bad than, say, Adrian's kicking mistake last yeah. night for Liverpool against Atletico, which was an absolute disaster. But, yeah, I mean, letting that first one at the near post was, you know, was very, very, it was much, much more like Bravo than like Edison. That that was like me at five aside, that one, mate. Don't get your body behind it and, and just let it through your hands. No, yeah. <laughs> and it's weird because, like, Edison's shot stopping, I mean, it's not, 
it's not his absolute, it's not his strongest point, but he is pretty good. Like he's pretty good in those situations generally, and I think his reactions are good. Uh, he's got strong arms, so it was well, yeah, it was really it was kind of odd and unusual to see him make that mistake. You've touched on it already there. I mean, the, the the biggest, actually, the biggest worry for me out of the game was was just how unthreatened David De Gea was. Given you've talked about how you know he's he's not had a, a great season, he's been you know good for an error at times, and City just didn't seem to be able to put him under any pressure whatsoever. Yeah, that's really interesting, that isn't it? I was trying to think why that would be, why they didn't create anything. I think obviously not having De Bruyne is a big blow. I, th- I do think De Bruyne. As much as City's brilliance is about like the Guardiola system and the intricate patterns and everything, like De Bruyne is like the ultimate get out of jail free card, isn't he? Like he can just do he can just do things as an individual to break open games when City are struggling. We've seen that a million times over the years, whether it's banging one in from thirty yards or playing a ridiculous crossfield pass or a sort of clever reverse pass. Like he he is City's wild card. And if you take him out, then I think everybody has to work harder to create those chances. So I think he's a big loss. I also think like Sterling as well. Like he's obviously struggling with confidence in front of goal. He's had a really weird season, Sterling, hasn't he? Because he was absolutely electric the first half of the season, and then and now just the... nothing, is there? Yeah, and now he's, he looks like a completely different player. He looks like the Sterling of like four years ago, like the Sterling of the sort of 2015-16, sorry, 2015-16 season before Guardiola showed up. Like he doesn't want the same confidence in front of goal. He's not. He's kind of misfiring. He's scuffing shots. He's not hitting the ball cleanly. It's very different. So. I'd probably look at those those two reasons mainly as why City didn't create chances. But it's weird, isn't it? Because it was only like it was only two months ago that City went to Old Trafford and played absolutely phenomenally, one three one, and every City fan came away thinking should have won seven nil. And that's not even a piss take. Like City was so much better in that League Cup game at Old Trafford, and I've never seen a City side as dominant as that. And yet this game was completely different from that. It was like City City couldn't really get in those same positions, couldn't really get create the same or convert the same chances. Um, so, I'm just, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm just throwing kind of football at the wall here and seeing what sticks. But is it is it potentially because of of the the Premier League situation and the fact that you know City that they're, they're not going to win the title, they're they're also not going to drop out of the top four. Whereas in the League Cup, they they wanted to get to a final. No, I think that's a totally legitimate point, David. I completely agree. Like, I felt, I mean, it's been obvious for a while that City aren't going to win the title. And now, you know, they've been given this Champions League ban. It's it's almost, it's almost literally immaterial where they finish in the, in the Premier League <laughs> they, now. They just need to stay up, don't they? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, whereas, obviously, and I, I do think if you look at City's performances this season, there has they have obviously been better in the cups in the league, and I'm sure that I'm sure that comes down in part to motivation. Like the city players have got every motivation to try and win the league cup, the FA Cup, and the Champions League. They're desperate to win the Champions League, but in the Premier League, it's like, well, you know, what difference does it make whether we get 19, 85, 80, 75, 70 points? Like it just doesn't really matter that much in the scheme of things. Um, and, you know, maybe I'm sure Pep would disagree with that. And, you know, I'm sure he could point to good Premier League performances by City. But I do feel just that the players are saving it all up for the Cups at the moment. It feels a little bit, um, I, I don't want to compare to, to previous managers' uh, seasons, but it feels a little bit like Pellegrini's last season or Mancini's last season, where uh, the, the league season was was over and done with early on, but the, there was a focus on the knockout competitions. Yeah, completely. Like 2015-16 is a really good comparison. Like that was in a, you know, let's not forget that was City's best ever run in the Champions League, getting to the semis. Like Pep's never got that far, 
and they produced some you know they produced some really good performances like beating PSG in the quarters over two legs that was fantastic um whereas in reality like everyone remembers about that season their Premier League form was terrible like, I remember going <laughs> to a game I remember going to a game where they lost four two at Saints and Mane scored a hat trick yeah and I think it was either in between the two legs of the Real Madrid game or just before the first leg of the Real Madrid game and clearly like Pellegrini had basically dropped Pellegrini, you know, knowing that he was going to play his first choice team against Real Madrid, played his all the, basically the second string against Saints at St Mary's, and they got absolutely hammered. And the players didn't look up for it at all. And it's not like it's not the same because we all knew at that point Pellegrini was going to go, and Guardiola is a much better manager than Pellegrini. And as far as we know, Guardiola will still be there next season. So it's not exactly the same, but you can always, you know, it is. It's not unusual in this kind of situation. It's like an echo, but, isn't it? Yeah, like it's it's it is it is precedented for players in these situations to put all their mental and physical energy into the games where they can win a trophy rather than the games where they can't. Uh, speaking of Guardiola, he's he's often accused of overthinking games. I think there's a lot more to it than than just oh City lost so Pep overthought it. Um, but has he has he been outthought in in these in the three derbies that he's lost this season? Uh, this is that's a great question. I don't know. I'm always a bit like. You know, like any journalist, I, I kind of played the sort of over, overthinking card myself in criticism of Guardiola in the past. And it's easy to do, but then, you know, City went to Old Trafford in the League Club, Cup, played a sort of 4-4-2, without, 4-4-2 with two midfielders up front. Nobody knew, everyone said it was overthinking, and City absolutely destroyed United. Even at Real Madrid, City played a kind of, what, sort of funny 4-4-2 with Jesus, Gabriel Jesus on the left, and none, none of their kind of, a lot of players who you would expect to start were on the bench. And again, City were phenomenal and 1-2-1. So I feel like overthinking is an easy thing to say when it goes wrong, but people don't always give the credit when it goes right. Uh, I don't know whether Guardiola was out of thought. I just think, I just think the United players... Because I think the, the plan that City went in with was fine. It was like play their natural game that has been astonishingly successful, especially against Manchester United. I think the issue is that for whatever reason, there's, I mean, we've touched on a few of them, the United players were much better able to execute the plans of their manager than the City players were. It is quite a damning indictment, though, that his nemesis this season is, is Solskjaer. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it will. And you know he's always like... Pep's like, oh, so much respect. He, he, I, I get a good feeling from him, but you just know that it will. I'm sure Guardiola will, will be annoyed to have lost these games in this matter because, like any elite manager, he hates he hates losing. Yeah, um, you, you touched on on the the defensive issues before. Uh, just a a couple of quick points from the game. Do you, I mean, in terms of, of of how City have set up defensively this season, I mean, losing Laporte wasn't ideal. Uh, you know, uh, losing company at the end of last season, I think, came as a bit of a surprise to them. Um, how how is Otamendi in his fifth season at City? I know it's amazing, isn't it? It's so like it, I remember the during the, the Wolves game around Christmas. We're watching that and thinking, God, how is Otamendi still there? Still getting the team, <laughs> and yet here we are, and he's still he's still there. Like he's, and it's like he's not. I know he had. I know he was good in 2017-18, and like he had a pretty good season that year. But generally speaking, he's not like. I don't. I think now he's kind of regressed to the Otamendi of the Pellegrini years. Like he's he's rash. He's kind of he's a bad mix of being rash and slow. Like it's okay to be one or the other, but don't be both. Uh. And you can tell that he hates playing. He hates playing against really quick players who can run in behind him. He's fine if you if you're if you're playing against a, you know if you're playing if you're playing a lesser opponent, it's fine for him because he's okay on the ball. And he's a good battler, he can, isn't he? 
yeah, and he wins 50-50s and he wins his headers and he gets stuck in. He doesn't mind. Like, if a, if a striker's just trying, like, playing his back to goal, he doesn't mind coming through the back of him and trying to nick it. But if you put him against someone who can run in behind, he's toast. It's like Rashford and Martial must love playing against Otamendi. And so it's kind of bizarre to me that Otamendi's still in the team. I think it says, it says a lot about City's big failure of last summer, which was let company go, not replace him, and then left desperately hoping that Laporte would be fit to play every single game. And, like, obviously it hasn't worked out that way. And and obviously Stone's got his own problems. And, that you know, City have been left desperately exposed. It's been the clear since the start of the season. Like, I remember back in September watching City get destroyed on the break by Norwich away, like a team who barely won a game all season. And it was like watching City of 2016-17, wasn't it? Like, the vulnerability to pace on the break, balls down the channels, the way that City can get turned around that quickly, that massive gap they're leaving behind the back four. And they have been too vulnerable on the break all the way through this season. I mean, it's been it's been clear to anyone who's watched City play, and I think that Sunday, just like just like the three, just like the first derby at the Etihad, was just a continuation of that, really. Uh, and it, I mean, I think City are basically getting what they deserve in terms of the, the failure to recruit a centre back in the summer. And I'm sure that this summer, I mean, who who knows what position the club will be in to to recruit that type of player, but they will have to do better because they can't just rely on Laporte being able to play 50 games again. Now City will need to put that defeat behind them and if everything goes to schedule then they have one game to get a bit of momentum going again ahead of the second leg with Real Madrid. Of course it's a big question as to whether these matches will go ahead but for the time being that is the plan. So Jack, how do you think City are faring up ahead of that uh, second leg against Real Madrid? Uh, well again it's, it's really hard to, to answer that question without reference to the, the pandemic but fine I think. Football wise fine. Like I don't. I don't know how much. I don't think that like losing tonight will massively not confidence. I don't. I don't think City are especially a comp. You know, you don't get a hundred points and ninety eight points in the Premier League by being a confidence team. City aren't a confidence team. They're a. Then they are an elite team. Um, and so I'm not. Yeah, I'm not like pessimistic about City's prospects for Real Madrid. Given that, I'm sure that Guardiola. I wonder whether Guardiola will shoot, will pick a team designed to get you know so that he can pick the best possible team for Real Madrid. I'm sure he would deny that, but. Um, uh, yeah, I feel pretty bullish about City's prospects going into that game, d- despite everything. It's uh, it's funny for City to be leading a big tie at this stage. Normally, they're chasing the tie at this stage. Yeah, yeah, it's weird, isn't it? I can't think of a, I can't really think of a precedent in City's recent Champions League history. Like, it's usually, it doesn't usually go like this. Like, even, you know, the big recent exits that we all think about at the time at like Monaco, they lost the first leg. Tottenham, they lost the first leg. Liverpool, they got battered in the first leg. And I know they, you know, they nearly turned around Monaco. They never really looked like turning around Liverpool. They nearly, they thought they were through against Tottenham. Um, so, and then when they've had other, you know, knockout games against sort of supposedly easier teams, it's been much, much more comfortable for them under Guardiola, like Basel, for example. Um, so it, it, again, we are in un- City are in uncharted territory with this game. Uh, I suppose you could. Say, I mean, what sometimes often what people sometimes say when a team wins their first leg away from home is, oh, you know, it's going to cause questions for their approach in the second game. Do they attack or do they defend? Do they keep hold of what they got? But I kind of feel like City, I don't think City will feel like that. I think City will just go out and try and win the game on the day. 
Yeah, they. I mean, it, it doesn't. From a Guardiola point of view, he, you kind of get that it, it it won't change that much because he he's the sort of manager that will go out and 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 continue to play the way he wants his team to play. I mean, he does get every now and then he gets a little bit more cautious in the Champions League, maybe when there's an away goal at stake. But it, it doesn't feel like he changes too much, does it? Yeah, I mean, look, I might I might sound incredibly stupid saying this if City go out, but. I, I think it's, it's I think it's perfectly set up for City. Like they've got the two away goals. It's not like if they're one nil ahead, maybe they it would be slightly harder. Maybe if they were two or three nil ahead, they might be thinking, oh, you know, oh, it's, it's we're so far ahead, maybe we shouldn't attack. But I just think that the, the two one margin is perfect, really, in the sense that City will just go out to try and win the game at home, and they'll always know that you know things will have to go spectacularly badly for them not to go through to the quarterfinals. Is there a bonus in in Guardiola not chasing a game at this stage? Because he doesn't have to think about anything special, and it doesn't have to create a, a a grand plan to turn it all around. Yeah, I think there's a bonus that he doesn't have to win by a distance, or he doesn't. Because sometimes with Pep, it's like if he has to, if he has to, if he has to win by a very long way, then that requires the team to play in a certain fashion. So remember, Liverpool two years ago, City. The first leg went so badly that City really had to come out flying in the second leg. And they were tremendous for about half an hour in that game. Um, but I think in this game, no no special measures are required. That's not to say that Pep won't do something funny. Like he might do, you know, the kind of strikerless system we saw at Old Trafford or the kind of funny 4-4-2 we saw at the Bernabeu. So there might be like there might be an interesting plan which people will say is overthinking, but there's no like requirements to win the game by a distance or anything. Like the, the requirement is very simple; it's just win the game. Yeah, uh, we've been talking earlier on about uh, Laporte's importance to the team, about De Bruyne's importance to the team. Uh, Leroy Sane as well has been back in training. How how involved do you think these these players will be over the next two games against Burnley and then and then Madrid? Yeah, it's a really interesting one, isn't it? I suppose it, I mean. I guess a lot will hinge on what Pep does in his press conference. I think they could really, I mean, like they, I think they could really, really do with De Bruyne, certainly for Real Madrid. They need that kind of flexible intelligence he gives you in the middle of the pitch, his ability to slow the game down or play fast or create chances. would be fantastic. Sane, surely Real Madrid would be too, Real Madrid would be too much for Sane coming in. After he hasn't played, obviously, since the Community Shield when he got that knee injury. Uh, and then Laporte, I mean, God, they desperately missed him against United the other day. They need him back too. But that said, I, is it worth is it worth risking the players to bring them back for Real Madrid, or will Pep want to kind of make sure they're fully ready for the quarters if 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 City get there and if they go ahead? Yeah, it's it's fascinating. I mean, Laporte especially is is somebody that they have been desperate. It felt like they were clinging on to the, to the sort of desperate need to get him back for that Real Madrid first leg and then lost him inside, what, 20 minutes or so? And it, it it didn't fall apart, which I was quite surprised at. Yeah, that was one of the kind of amazing things this season. I think every City fan saw Laporte go off in that game with God, City had done for here, uh, given everything. I think, to be honest, it also says a lot about Real Madrid, the fact that this is not the Real Madrid of, you know, the Real Madrid that won the Champions League in 2014, 16, 17 and 18. The fact that they couldn't really... You know, apart from Kyle Walker's mistake, from which Isco scored that scored that goal for for Madrid, they they struggled really to take advantage of City's weaknesses at the back. And I think that again, this might look stupid if they win the second <laughs> leg, but uh, it, I think it says a lot about you know Real Madrid not really being the force they were in the past. 
In terms of them as well, it looks as though Courtois and Marcelo will be uh, will be joining Hazard on the sidelines. That's that's only a bonus for City, I guess. Yeah, I mean, look, Marcelo's been as as important as anyone really, apart from Ronaldo, to their incredible dominance in this competition over the last five or six years. And Courtois, well, he's, he's got his critics, but he's still a pretty good keeper, I think, even if he's not really turned into the player we expected. So. I really don't think this is a good Real Madrid side. Like they, they, they weren't good against City. Like they, they haven't been good in Spain this season. There are questions again about Zidane's management. I don't think, I don't actually think Zidane is an especially good manager, despite his ludicrously successful record in this competition. Uh, and I'm sure that City, I think City probably have the edge in terms of playing talent, and that they think they definitely have the edge in terms of management. So, I, yeah, I. Uh, I am as confident as a City fan can be about their prospects going into this massive game of Real Madrid. <laughs> it's a, a, it absolutely feels weird to be talking about that, given that you know a, a few weeks ago we were we were talking about oh well the season feels like it's falling apart, and now all of a sudden it feels like one win against Madrid could really open up the tournament. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it, again, it's it, again it's difficult to talk about the Champions League as if it were a normal Champions League season, but like. If it was a normal Champions League season, I'd be feeling pretty good about City's prospects in it. Like who? The thing about the Champions League, it, everyone knows it's so random. Like the randomness is what makes it so hard to win. Uh, look at last night. Liverpool were incredible for ninety-five minutes. They were absolutely brilliant. That was as well as Liverpool played all season. And then Adrian screws up a kick, and then Liverpool, and now Liverpool are out. So, like anything can happen. And if you look at City's, particularly if you look at the City's last. Last year against Tottenham, like this might sound like sour grapes to Spurs fans, like but City was so unlucky not to go through in that game. Like, you know, the Aguero missed penalty, the, all the random stuff that happened in the second leg, Laporte's uncharacteristic mistakes, the Urente hip goal standing, all the chances that City missed before the Urente goal, Sterling goal being ruled offside. Like the point is, the point is that the Champions League is decided by more than just how well you play. It's decided by tiny little details and luck and seizing your moment and that is why it's so exciting like it's the randomness that makes it so exciting it's it's all the kind of randomness that you don't really get in the Premier League anymore because City and Liverpool are so dominant you do get in the Champions League and that means it is impossible to predict like it's imp- I, I think I think City have as good a chance as anyone is winning the Champions League but I, I, I'd be a fool to say that I think City will win the Champions League just because it's so uncontrollable and so unpredictable I'm not going to lie, as a as a City fan, I do feel a little bit aggrieved that uh, it was a couple of years ago at Liverpool, the, the 3-0 at Anfield, there was uh, a couple of, of Liverpool offside goals, City had an away goal, wrongly ruled out, and then the next season we all, we all thought, oh, it would be okay because VAR's in coming in place now to, uh, to, to sort all these issues out. And then in the Spurs game, City gets stung by uh, a couple of VAR decisions that don't go their way, and then this season, when it looks like everything's fallen into place, it looks like COVID-19 could come along and, and just stop them from winning the Champions if, if City don't win it this year, are they ever going to win it, Jack? Uh, I th- well, I certainly think that this is, in a football sense, this is City's best ever chance to win the Champions League. Just because you know the best the best team in Europe, Liverpool, are out for a start. City clearly are putting all their eggs in the Champions League basket. That's been obvious to anyone who's watched City play this season. They've got the prospect of a two-year Champions League ban hanging over them. Like, we don't know what's going to happen with that, if that will stand or not. But, you know, at the moment, and obviously City are fighting this at Cass, but at the moment we should assume that City will not be in the Champions League next season. Uh, if, you know, who knows if the Champions League will even be happening next season. So there are so, like, I think it's, 
I do feel like there is a bit of a sense of now or never for City. Also, like, it's Pep's fourth year. Like, do you, I know Pep's got a contract for next season as well. And, you know, Pep says that he will that, that he will stay for that season. But it's, it's unlikely that Pep will still be here in, let's say, three years' time or four years' time, isn't it? And, Pep, you know, Pep is the best manager in the world, I think, or one of the very best. And it's, if he were to go, City would obviously not replace him with anyone as good. Uh, I also think if you look at the ages of the squad, you've got Aguero probably at the end of his peak, De Bruyne at his peak, Sterling coming into his peak, Fernandinho somehow still at his peak, but probably at the end of it, <laughs> Edison at his peak, Walker at his peak, Laporte is coming into his peak, I'd say, Gundogan is still a fantastic player, Bernardo Silva is an incredible player. Like I think I think the, the peak age of this City squad is basically the last two years and this year. And... It you know again like you can't predict anything in football. Who knows what's going to happen? Coronavirus, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. We don't know. We've got no idea. But I would be surprised if in uh, on the twelfth of twelfth of March, twenty twenty one, twenty twenty two, twenty twenty three, City are in as good a position as they are right now to win the Champions League if the Champions League goes ahead. So yeah, I think I would be. I I do feel a bit of a sense of of now or never about this Champions League campaign. Thanks to our good pals at Beer52.com, you've got the opportunity to sip eight delicious, painstakingly sourced craft beers from around the world. All you need to do is go to Beer52.com forward slash Y, that's W-H-Y, and pay the postage of £4.95. And if that wasn't enough, as a listener to Why Always Us, you'll get two extra free beers. Beer52 are beer pioneers. They travel the globe to find the best and most interesting beer from the very best craft breweries. They're now the world's most popular craft beer discovery club. Each month, Beer52 deliver a case with a different theme. Themes have included Germany, Korea, Belgium, South Africa, California, New Zealand, and many more. As an independent UK company, Beer52 are also passionate about the UK craft beer scene as well. The beauty of Beer52 is that you can leave at any time. The power is in your hands. Your case will also include the award-winning craft beer magazine Ferment and a beery snack thrown in as well. Just go to www.beer52.com forward slash Y, that's W-H-Y, to get your case free. And don't forget, right now, Why Always Us listeners get two extra free beers. Right, so we always try and finish with a few questions uh, from you guys on Twitter. Uh, so we'll start with uh, Paramal on Twitter asks, uh, can City collapse under the pressure against Madrid at the Etihad? And I suppose that the interesting thing about this question, Jack, is that, that there is certainly the potential for there to be no fans there. Um, that could change the dynamic a little bit. Yeah, I mean, like the, the, the thing about that is I think I would have to delete Twitter for all the appalling banter. <laughs> it will be flung around uh, about empty had jokes and uh, ha 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 ha. Anyway, um, yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Because like, I don't think that cities, you know, for for years the narrative about City in the Champions League has been there aren't enough fans, the fans don't care about it enough. It's not been like I think the players care, and the Pep obviously desperately cares about the Champions League, but I don't think that the fans have been putting pressure onto the players to win the Champions League. Like, in fact, it's been the opposite. Like. The fans have clearly been like, we are not that fussed about the Champions League for all these various reasons. And Pep has been like almost begging the fans to take the Champions League more seriously. Um, so it's been a very different dynamic. Uh, how that dynamic will play out next week in the second leg, I've got no idea. Like, I, you know, who knows if the game will even happen. But uh, I don't think that, I don't really think, pre- I don't think that sort of pressure really comes into it. So I wouldn't be worried for City on that basis. 
Yeah, there's. I mean, there, there was supposed to be um, a, a big fan movement about uh, about showing you for what the, what the fans thought of them uh, after the the Champions League ban. Um, and uh, again, if that uh, that could have fired up City for for a, a real rip roaring game, but it actually it, it might end up being a little bit of a of an eerie atmosphere there now. Yeah, yeah, it would be strange. Like, I mean, it, behind closed doors, games are weird. Like, I went to one. Uh, about 18 months ago when England drew nil-nil with Croatia in Rijeka where there were no fans because of uh, racism by Croatian fans. And it was really odd. Like, you could tell the players were slightly unsettled by it. It took all the players a good 15, 20 minutes to really settle into the game and play it like a normal game. Like, football, I know it sounds trite, but, like, football without fans is very, very, very different. And you can't expect the game... The games are just not the same if the fans aren't there. Um maybe it would work against City. Now now I've said that, I've started to think, oh, maybe City do get more from the home crowd than I thought, and maybe maybe it wouldn't. That said, obviously last night PSG didn't have any home fans against Dortmund in the Parc des Princes, and they still won 2-0 and went through. Um, so it's just, again, it's it's one of those questions, one, I find with all this coronavirus talk, like it's just, the speculation is so difficult, isn't it? Like we just don't, we don't know what the what the unintended consequences would be. And uh, a little bit more of a, of a general question to finish on. Uh, Mike Frankish asks, will the coronavirus outbreak lead to better toilet facilities, specifically the sink areas at football grounds? Uh, and it's something that I, I think is kind of, it, you know, it kind of feels like it needs to be done. Yeah, I think one thing this has shown up really is how incredibly like lax and callous most people's attitude to personal hygiene is. I mean, like, a- anyone who's ever been to a toilet at a football match knows that most pe- most guys who use the gents when they're done, we'll just run straight back, particularly if the game's going on, even if it's not, we'll just run straight back out or rather than washing their hands properly. Like, you know, I've seen this a million times. I've done it myself a million times. I think everyone listening to this podcast will know exactly what I mean. Uh, and may, maybe this will change attitudes. Maybe it will change toilets. Like I actually think the toilets the Etihad are not that bad. Like most away grounds you go to watching City, they are much, much worse. You know, I remember going to see City... The worst away ground toilets I've been to a Fratton Park, where I've seen City. I, I, to, be with, to be honest with you, mate, I thought you were going to go back to the days of '99, where we were going to, to all sorts of uh, you know, oh yeah, shackle stadiums. I, well, I was going to say, so at Fratton Park, the gents at the away end is basically like. A, so the last time I saw City at Fratton Park was I think 2009. Uh, the gents at the away end is like a stone, basically a stone wall to pee against <laughs> uh, around the back of the away end. Um, where, where are the worst away ground gents you've been to? Um, off the top of my head, I can't. I, it's, this is this is going to sound like I'm an absolute germ freak now, but I try. I genuinely try not to use the gents while I'm at a football stadium because I don't like the gents at football stadiums. So, mm-hmm. um, I I remember Ewood Park wasn't great. Um, I, last time I went to Ewood Park was the opening day of that. I think it was that 0-9-10 season. Um, Adebayor and Ireland scored. Oh yeah, wearing wearing the black kit. Those were the days, remember, weren't they? Yeah, when, when City had good away kits. Yeah, I remember that game so well. So I was at my friend's, like one of my friend's twenty first birthdays, and I this was like just it was like before, so I had, I had Twitter, but it was like not you know you wouldn't follow a game just by refreshing Twitter all the time, and so I just remember sitting in the garden at my friend's house with one, one of those little old fashioned radios. This was again before people had like radio apps on their phones. I probably didn't even have a smartphone come to think of it. And I would just, uh, I just sat in the garden listening to that game on the radio. And sitting, it was 4-2, wasn't it? And 
everyone was really bullet. Was it four two? I think I know it's two nil. I think they. Wait, I, I all scored the same about. Game? Uh, there was. I can't think of a four two win over Blackburn around about that era. See, I'm, I'm, I'm the, st- the start of the 2009-10 season. Yeah, I think it was the opening yeah. day. Yeah, no, it was. No, sorry, I don't know what I'm talking about. It wasn't 4 2. I've got it on soccer base. It was 2 0. Adebayor, Adebayor at the start, Ireland right at the end. Yeah, I yeah. was sitting in my friend's garden listening to that whole game on the radio. And at that point, thinking, brilliant, like City have nailed it. They've got this, they've got this, <laughs> they've, they've got this down. Uh, obviously, that was Adebayor's debut, wasn't it? Um, and so all the new, all the new signings had come along. Uh, and I'm just feeling incredibly bullish about City's prospects for that season. Um, with Adebayo, I've just looked at the team here. So Given, Richards, Dunn, Colo Torre, Wainbridge, Sean Wright Phillips, Barry Island, Rubinho, Bellamy and Adebayo up front. What a team. That, 69, that 69 minutes. Era City. Rubinho off, Carlos Tevez on for his City debut. Uh, yeah, and obviously, like, you know, we know now that Hughes was sacked by Christmas, but right at the start of that season, um, I was feeling pretty good about it. What a and year. Then the, because yeah, so after that, beat Wolves one 0 at home, lost two 0 at Palace in the Carling Cup. I went to that game. That I think was Lescott's debut. Then won one 0 at Portsmouth and a by all score. I think I went. That's that might that, be that, the game. I'm thinking yeah, that's the, the back toilet. toilet game. Yeah. And then the, sorry, the 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 four two scoreline I had in my head. That was obviously the Arsenal win with the Adebayor knee slide. Oh and yes. Then, and then it was the four three defeat at Old Trafford, which we don't talk about. Well, I mean, if we're, if we're not talking about defeats at Old Trafford, then we'll have to delete the, the, uh, the last 45 minutes of the show, I'm <laughs> yeah, afraid. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right, uh, right, funny story, I've still, I've still never watched back the Michael Owen winner from that game. I, I've not managed it. I'm, I've never seen it. If it comes on in Premier League years or on a montage of goals on TV, I'll just turn away. I've never seen it back. Good. I, uh, we were, we, I listened to that at, uh, at home um, and uh, I just remember the, the the radio that my mum had in the kitchen was ahead of us in the in the living room, oh, and I just God, heard I, I just heard from the kitchen, oh no! <laughs> and so we 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 just got we knew what had happened, and I was just like, oh, I I I don't want to hear this. And so I, yeah, I feel I feel sick hearing that story. <laughs> I'm uh, I'm sorry to end it on that note. I, I genuinely didn't think I was going to end this week's show talking about the gents' toilets and city in 2009. But you know, here we are. That's uh, that's how it goes. Uh, that's it for this week's Why Always Yours. You've been listening to the Athletics Football Writer Jack Pitt Brook. Thanks a lot. Enjoyed it. And me, David Mooney. There'll be another show next week. Don't forget for ad-free podcasts, make sure to subscribe to the Athletic and listen through the app. You can get a 40% discount now by using the code Man City Pod. Mm-hmm.